hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Uh, I coined the term the other day, middle momentum or middle mojo, whatever you want to call it. And I really feel like that's what we have right now. I appreciate all of you that send me messages. Tell me you're listening. It means so much. That's why I'm still doing this and it's why I'm going to keep doing it. So keep giving me your feedback. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. I wanted to welcome Sarah Collins to the team. Uh, She has a background in production and podcast is actually helping now with uh, the audio and the video. Really happy to have her on board with the team as well. And uh, this has been really fun to kind of see this movement and see people resonating with what we're discussing here. Today, I'm wearing my red shirt. You know what we're going to do. We're going to respond to the Republican National Convention. And I want to start just by saying to everyone listening, you're welcome. And here's why I'm saying you're welcome. I just spent two weeks watching almost every bit of the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. And I'll tell you, if I wasn't doing this podcast, I think I would have given up. I think I would have stopped, but I was doing it for you. I know that I wanted to come to this podcast with new ideas, with fresh takes. And so I... uh, I stuck in there because uh, I'll tell you what, listening to speech after speech like that, I think it's easy to see why most people just tune out when it comes to politics or turn it off because it can just be a lot, right? So what I'm going to do in this reaction to the RNC today is I'm actually going to break this up in two parts. I first want to talk big picture. We just watched two of these conventions. We just basically saw the angle and the positions that both sides are going to take, uh, you know, basically iterated to us for uh, two full weeks. And so I want to discuss kind of a big picture issue. And then I'm going to jump into some of the specific speeches, things I liked, didn't liked, and we'll, didn't like, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So how I want to do this big picture mentality is I want to talk about one thing. I want to talk about fear. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I personally really despise the emotion of fear. I don't think fear is a motivator. Fear doesn't uplift. Fear doesn't inspire. Fear doesn't motivate us to do good. It's the exact opposite of hope, of faith, of positivity, of optimism. But unfortunately, both parties, and really it's not even a political party thing, it's the world in 2020 uses fear to motivate us, uses fear to get us to either take action or do nothing at all. And I think that really in a lot of senses is the story of 2020. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, Just the phrase in and of itself, a global pandemic, a virus that is infecting the world, that is scary. Global pandemic, that phrase just, it, it incites fear in and of itself. And our reaction to that has been fear driven in a lot of ways. I remember reading an article at the very beginning of coronavirus when the quarantine started happening. And it was this compilation of pictures of some of the most heavily trafficked, you know, tourist spots in the world and showing them empty. Times Square, 
Buckingham Palace, the Eiffel Tower, uh, the Tokyo Tower, and basically seeing these places empty. It looked like something out of a zombie apocalypse, right? Seeing all these places with no life. And those images, just looking at what they were communicating was fear. Because your first thought is, well, where are all the people, right? You immediately think to some movie that you've watched, like I Am Legend, of seeing New York City without a soul walking down any street, and you're going, wow, what just occurred here? And think of a lot of the messaging that we have had over the last year. Just the catchphrase or slogan, stay home, stay safe, incites fear. Now, I'm not making an argument for or against quarantine. Again, I'm not getting into the mass debate or how this was handled. But all I'm saying is that over the last six months, we have been fed a lot of fear. Stay home. Stay safe. That mentality makes us feel that if if I walk outside, I'm being unsafe right? We hear, read articles that you could carry coronavirus while being asymptomatic, not even feel any of the symptoms, be totally fine, but you could be out there infecting people and being the cause for other people to catch coronavirus, right? That leads to anxiety, that leads to a stress at some of the highest levels we've ever seen. And That is really the state of the world right now. It's the state of our country, and it's where our leaders know that we are. And what's unfortunate is that you would hope that this would be the type of time now when both of these parties have the ability to speak directly to the American people, that the messages would be of hope of fortitude, of positive thinking, of optimism that, hey, we can do this. We can push through. We got this. Everything's gonna be all right. But unfortunately, while there was still positive speaking that happened on both sides, what I saw a lot over the last two weeks is just furthering that fear. And I want to talk about a couple different speeches in particular that to me really highlighted this. Uh, And what was interesting is, as you watched these two conventions over the last two weeks, there is very, very little that the two parties agree on. But one thing that they absolutely agree on, if you listen to both, is this. This is the most important election we have ever had. That America, as we know it, is at stake. That democracy is is at stake. And if the other guy wins, these are the list of things that you should be afraid of. Because if the other guy wins, here's all the things that are going to happen that they're not telling you about. That is buying into the concept of fear right? Now, as we go through this and we talk about, you know, the the different ideas, think about some of the labels that we heard the each party call Donald, you know, the Democratic Party called Donald Trump or the Republican Party called Joe Biden. If you listen to the Democratic Party, you would hear that Donald Trump is a rich, authoritarian, racist that cares about no one other than himself. If you listen to the Republicans talk about Biden, you would have heard phrases like, Biden is a Trojan horse for socialism. 
And Donald Trump himself said in his speech that Biden is the destroyer of American greatness. Think about the extremes that are built there. Now, I've talked about from the beginning of this podcast of this mindset of millennial in the middle and that most of us are in the middle. But then we tune into politics and we hear both parties say there has never been in the history of our country two parties that oppose each other more philosophically, ideologically, economically than these two parties do today. So when you hear discourse like that, what does that then lead you to believe? Well, you say, well, if someone believes other than me, if they use that phrase that they're a Republican or a Democrat, I am so much different than them that I couldn't even relate, that I couldn't even begin to have a conversation because we are just diametrically opposed. Think of the extremes that that type of, uh, that that type of discourse starts to create. Now, the two speeches I wanted to talk about particularly the first was from the Democratic Convention, and it was Jill Biden, uh, Joe Biden's wife. Jill Biden is a school teacher, and she gave her speech in the first school in Delaware that she taught school at. And what's interesting is the halls are empty, it's quiet. And she said something to the effect of, these halls at this time of year, typically when we go back to school, are filled with excitement. They're filled with this curiosity of a new year, new beginnings, and we're, we're hearing all this noise of classes filled with students heading to school. This year, these same halls are empty. These same classrooms are quiet. And immediately what was being painted the picture of here was this dystopia. This dystopia of, well, where are all the kids? Again, it's this mindset of we're in empty classrooms. Halls that used to once ring with laughter are now silent. And you're going, well, where are all the kids? And if you think about it, the kids are just home, right? The kids haven't gone anywhere. They're just not going to school because they've been told that they can't. And I think that type of fear that was elicited from that, of that image of this empty classroom. Speech number two was from Kim Golifoyle at the Republican National Convention. Now, this one stood out to me. Uh, Kim Golifoyle, for those of you who don't know, is Donald Trump Jr., so his oldest son's girlfriend. And she used to be a Fox News co-host and a pundit on Fox News Channel. And while these... While these conventions were virtual, right, they weren't giving these speeches to big crowds uh, other than a couple of them, which we'll talk about later. I don't think Kim Goldfoyle got the message that just because people weren't there physically that she was looking at, that that didn't mean she didn't need to speak louder so that everyone throughout the country could hear her. If you walked into the room while that speech was on, you'd be like, oh my gosh, why is that lady yelling? Shut, turn that down. Shut that off. It was this Hunger Games speech. In fact, I saw on Twitter, they took like this epic music from the Gladiator or something like that and put it as the background of her speech. And it sounded like something straight out of the Hunger Games. Yelling, this is what we need and we have to do this. And you're like, oh, another dystopia. Another world that was trying to stoke fear trying to stoke that anxiety to try and get people to act a certain way. 
Now, I want to give you a perspective here that I'll give you the disclaimer right now is fully my opinion. Take it for what you want. But here's what I believe. Whether Joe Biden wins the election in November or Donald Trump remains in the White House, America will not change all that much. Let me say that again. Whether Trump wins or Biden wins, America won't change all that much. Now, I know that that might seem a little hypocritical for me to say, because the last thing I want, the last thing that I've preached is for people that are going to become apathetic or for those to be uninvolved or uninformed. Obviously, I want people to get involved in this. I want people to feel educated, feel informed. But I think this picture of that America is at stake if the other guy wins sets a really dangerous precedent. Because guess what? Someone's going to win, which also means someone's going to lose. And so if all we talk about for the next couple months is the extreme awful things that are going to happen if your candidate doesn't win, then what happens on November 4th, the day after the election? I want you to think about that. Now, here's why I say that. Let's talk about fear. Let's talk about things that are truly scary and how leaders of the past have handled these types of situations. I want to talk about two leaders today. I want to talk about FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Winston Churchill. Both leaders during you know, World War II, the Great Depression for FDR, and this is probably the most turmoil and the toughest course of events that Americans or the world have been placed in over the last 100 to 200 years. There's a reason why that generation that lived through the Great Depression and World War II is titled the greatest generation that ever lived. And I'm going to do a tribute to the greatest generation later on in this podcast that I'm really excited to do. But if we look at what they were faced with, the last thing they did is accept fear. And they had all the reason in the world to be scared. Think of the words of FDR. At his inauguration in 1932, his first inaugural address, he said the famous words that still echo today, there is nothing to fear but fear itself. I love that statement. I love how inspiring that is. And Winston Churchill the Prime Minister of England through World War II. He embodied courage. He embodied hope and optimism. And he absolutely had to do that as the leader of his country to get Great Britain through the time that they were going through. Now, I want to give you a little background here. Whenever I study for this podcast and I learn something new, I'm going to make it a habit that I'm going to tell you. I learned something new as I studied for this, and I want to talk to you about it. The first time I went to Europe, uh, I'd always loved history. I loved learning about World War II, but I remember something hit me when I was in London. And this might seem a little silly because I've looked at a map and I know my geography. But as I got to London, it hit me for the first time how close London is to Paris. Now, I know you're probably saying, oh, you should know that, right? But it wasn't until I actually got there and was in London that all of a sudden it was like, oh, this isn't a big difference. 
There's a reason why people can swim across the English Channel. It's 30 miles. There's not much separating the two. And here's why that thought made such an impression on me. Throughout almost the entirety of World War II, Germany occupied Paris. Germany was in France. Germany occupied Paris. And just across that 30-mile stretch of ocean that people can literally swim was the British Empire. And then you think, for years, when the enemy was that close, threatening to destroy your nation and everyone knowing that that really was the plan, or at least was the hope, and having to have bombardment after bombardment and bombing after bombing every night often in heavier times throughout the war of the Germans bombing Great Britain. That's something that's scary. That's something that should create a lot of fear. Think of if every night you were just waiting to be woken up by the sound of sirens and you knew immediately when that siren went off that you needed to head directly to that bunker without asking any questions and you needed to stay in that bunker until you were told it was safe to come out, not knowing that if when you came out of the bunker, if your home was still going to be there, not knowing if you were going to have lost loved ones family members, neighbors. That was reality. And during this entire time, Winston Churchill taught his people how to have courage, how to have hope. Now, when I went to Europe, and if you've been to England, you've probably seen the phrase, whether it's on a TV shirt or not a TV shirt, whether it's on a t-shirt, whether it's on a coffee mug, or we're talking England, whether it's on a teacup, right? Whatever it is, you've probably seen the phrase, keep calm and carry on. You've seen that iconic image, keep calm, carry on with the crown over it. That saying and that poster has become to London what a I heart NY shirt is to those of New York. And I didn't fully know the history of that phrase, keep calm, carry on. I knew it had to do with World War II, but I didn't fully know how that came to be. And I learned this story in studying for this podcast that I'm really glad I figured out. Most of this comes from a book uh, by Fraser Alpine, uh, Stuff Brits Like is the name of his book. And it talks about the history of this poster. In 1939, so in the spring uh, of the year before the war, uh, the year that the war started, so before the war started that same year, the British government was trying to think of ways that they were going to be able to get the general public through. They knew that there were really dark days ahead. And they also knew that the Germans were going to have air raid after air raid on Britain as war started and as war ramped up. And so what they did is they put out three posters that they planned on using throughout the entire war to be able to help kind of buoy up and strengthen those that were in those areas the most at risk of being bombed and those most at risk of those air raids. Now, of those three posters, they rolled two out immediately. And honestly, they weren't that memorable. 
the one basically had to do with you know take courage your courage is needed now more than the more than ever and the other one had to do with freedom that your freedom is at risk defend it with all your might but there was a third poster they made a very simple message that said keep calm and carry on now they decided to hold that third poster the keep calm and carry on in reserve They didn't want to push it out at the beginning of the war. They decided that they were going to hold this until things got really bad. But they printed two and a half million of these posters to be sent out throughout the country when the time was right. Now, what's interesting is those posters were never put out. The first two messages were seen throughout World War II, but they decided for whatever reason during World War II that the keep calm and carry on, they weren't going to weren't going to disperse. They weren't going to display those. And of those two and a half million posters, they destroyed almost all of them. In 2000, so like 60 years later, this is pretty cool. Uh, let me explain what happens here. There's a... Basically, a book a bookstore owner bought a uh, bought a box of old books, and he was just you know going to sell these. He was an antique book collector, and at the bottom of the box, he found a stack of posters that were the original 1939 "Keep Calm and Carry On." Now he didn't really know the story. Obviously, these were a few posters that weren't destroyed and that made it through, but were never shown, right? And so what did they do? They, like anyone, they thought it was kind of cool. It was a cool design. It matched the look and feel of this antique bookstore. And so they put it up right over the cash register. And immediately, everyone that came into that bookstore started commenting on, what is that poster? And all of a sudden, after some digging, people found that this was one of the original posters made in 1939, speaking to a nation about to head into World War II, to keep calm and carry on. Now, what uh, Fraser said in his book here, Fraser McAlpine, he says, there is something quintessential in the way that posters do not say, do not panic. They don't say, we will prevail. Instead, they say, keep calm. And what that means is, we may be suffering something of an invasion at the moment, but that's no reason to start acting in a rash and hot-headed manner. We may be a subjugated nation temporarily, but we're not about to start acting like savages. And what of the carry-on? As a nation, we have been trained to look past the bad behavior of our rudest guests, especially the uninvited ones, and rather than cause a scene, we shall just go about our daily business as if nothing has happened. I think saying that is quintessentially British is an understatement. There's a reason why Britain has just latched on now to this battle cry of keep calm and carry on and really become a theme of a nation over the last 20 years. Go to London today and you'll see that everywhere you look. But here's why I thought this story was so cool. They literally got a message from the past. 60 years later, they got a message that had never been given to the world, but was written at a time of impending world war that was written at a time as Hitler was ready to take over Europe and ready to take over the world. And what was the message that they were prepared to tell their citizens? Keep calm and carry on. 
I wish there was a little bit more of that keep calm and carry on mentality in our world today. Because as I watch these two conventions, what I see are the extremes. What I see is, man, the world has never been worse. Now, I'm not saying that the things that we're going through aren't a big deal and that they shouldn't be focused on and that we shouldn't strive to figure it out and solve this. We're dealing with the biggest call for racial justice since the civil rights movement in our country. We are dealing with the biggest global pandemic in a hundred plus years. And with that, the result of an economy that needs to rebound, that needs to come back. All of these things are things that we have to deal with. But what inspires are those messages of hope? What inspire are those messages of positivity to keep calm, carry on, move forward, And so I wanted to do this as a bit of a preface. I'm going to talk about my reaction to the Republican National Convention, specifically with speeches next. But I just wanted to give a bit of a warning here. Whenever you feel that people are stoking your fears or inciting fear so that they can manipulate or control or get you to take an action or lead you to inaction, which sometimes can be even worse, take a step back. Think twice and remember to keep calm and carry on. You're going to hear my reaction to the RNC in the next episode. Until then, clowns to left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Go listen to the next one. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I